0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, uh, my name is Mitch. If we haven't met, Um, I... Have the horrifying job of taking over for Sam. Sam left for Grants Pass um, a couple weeks ago. The church in, in Grants Pass, Philippi, was started. I get to take over for him doing worship. And then I also get to hang out with our high school students, which is awesome. So I get to do both of those things. Um, that's typically where I'm at. And um, on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, I got a text from Jeff asking if I could cover teaching on Sunday morning. He's like, hey, can you have somebody else lead worship? And I'm like, hmm, no. No, I can't, but but yeah, sure, Jeff, I'll do it for you. And don't tell him, but I will ask for a pay raise. Anyways, okay, Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. Acts chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles there, we're continuing our series. Uh, I will say, though, although I'm covering on short notice somewhat, um, this is pretty much as great of a text as I could wish to have, as it's one that most of us are very familiar with. Um, And it's one of these passages, six verses in total, that is always good to go back to because, I'll give it away now, we're going to get really a snapshot of what the early church looked like in Jerusalem. And the things that they were focusing on are great for us to focus on as well, and we get to learn a lot from these believers. So we're going to dig into that, but before we do, I always like to give just kind of a recap of where we're at in our story uh, I got in the habit of doing, with the, doing this with the kids, uh, and I feel like it's helpful not only for them, but for me, and hopefully it will be for you too, just to kind of catch us up in story all the story, over every teaching, so that there's no doubt as to where we're at as we look at the, the whole story of what God is doing in redeeming mankind. So, what's happened up to this point? Well, before this previous summer, we were in the book of Luke, and we got to study the life of Christ. Now, this life, obviously, unlike any other life, uh, one word to sum it up, I guess that would make it unique, is perfect, right? Jesus was completely sinless. He never did anything wrong. He was absolutely perfect in every way. And uh, obviously, his life started a little uniquely as well because he was born, obviously, to Mary and conceived of the holy spirit right this is the son of god taking on flesh coming down to begin this rescue mission that absolutely needed to happen we'll get into that in a little bit but jesus grows up is perfect in every way he heals people of diseases cleanses people of leprosy multiplies bread and fish and feeds a whole bunch of people he teaches about the kingdom of god and he even calms the wind and the waves with just a word Right? There's nobody else like him. And so we look at his life and we're amazed. But the thing is, with Christ, he didn't just come to live, but instead he came here to die. That was his end. That's what he knew was going to happen. And that is specifically why he came. So he came to die, and, and die he did. He was delivered up on a Roman cross in public humiliation as he was mocked and reviled. The shame that day was incredibly weighty, but he knew it was all happening for a reason. See, he had given himself up to be sacrificed that day. And just like his life not being ordinary, so too this death was not ordinary either. If you guys remember, when, when Jesus was up on the cross, right, the land shook, the, the sky went black, and, and there was so much more going on than what met the eye. See, A lot of people had died on a Roman cross before Jesus, and a lot of people died on one afterwards, but his death was unique in that God's wrath for sin was being poured out on his one and only son that day, whom he loved very much. See, God's anger for unrighteousness was now being poured out on the one who never done an unrighteous thing ever. And it didn't seem fair, and it isn't fair, but Jesus knew that that was the only hope for his people, the ones that he'd created in his image. It was the only way for their sin to be removed. It was the only way for their relationship with God to be reestablished and restored. There's a quote that I love. It says this, only a human can substitute for human lives, but only God can take the wrath of God and survive. This is Jesus, the 100% God-man, right, needing to be the sacrifice, taking the place of us humans on the cross, bearing that wrath, but yet we're gonna see in a little bit conquering death in the process. I'll say that again, only a human can substitute for human lives, but only God can take the wrath of God and survive. And yeah, it does rhyme, and it is in a rap song. It's typically where I get all my quotes from. But there was Jesus, right—the substitute for us—and he went through it willingly. He he died, but as you guys know, later rose from the grave to show everybody that he has power over death and sin. It couldn't hold him down. I like this. Okay, I, oh man, this is great. It wouldn't be a heritage sermon if I didn't say amen with a question mark, because that's just Jeff's thing. And he ain't in the room, I don't think. So don't tell him I said that. Um, Man, so that wasn't it, right? He rose from the grave three days later. Conquering death so that anyone who put their faith in Jesus as Lord, Savior, Messiah, and trusted in His grace and sacrifice on the cross would also be forgiven of sin. They'd be welcomed into the family. They too would later be glorified and risen from the grave, and they'd be welcomed into that relationship with God. The work had been done, right? I have it tattooed on my arm. It is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. The debt has been absolutely paid in full. Everything that needed to happen for people to be saved from sin and death had been completed. And now, as we pick up the book of Acts, we see that God was going to equip and empower his people by his spirit to carry this good news of salvation to the ends of the earth so more and more disciples would be made. And he would do this so that tons of people would get saved. He'd do this so that he would get the glory from people turning from their sin and being transferred from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he did, in fact, do all these things. And the cool thing is, and this is why Acts is so interesting, he didn't just do it, but he's still doing it. And last week, we saw Jeff kind of kick off this whole thing, the waiting for the Spirit, empowering the disciples. This is what happened, right? The mission was to be started after the disciples received the promise, and so they prayed as Jesus told them to, and they waited as Jesus told them to, and they prayed and waited and prayed and waited, and then all of a sudden, He came, and and you guys heard it last week, right? There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind filling the place where they were meeting, tongues of fire, people filled with the very Spirit of God, and they knew, like, this Was surely what Jesus was telling them to wait for, and the time had finally come. So, the Spirit, as Jeff mentioned, was immediately pointing people to Jesus and convicting people of sin, like He does. And the disciples started doing something crazy, right? They started telling of the mighty works of God in languages that they didn't even know before. Now, gosh, half of us in this room are probably scared to death to tell of the mighty works of God in our own language, okay? Maybe this is what we need. We need the Spirit to like show us other languages so we can preach. But man, how cool is that? There was commotion and excitement and lots of preaching. If you remember, they thought the people were drunk. They were kind of confused as to what was going on. But Jesus was being proclaimed in boldness by the power of the Spirit by this ragtag group of disciples bunch of nothings. Praise God for that, because that, that's me. And this day, guys, Romans 1 was on full display, which says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. And tons of people believed that day, and they got to experience the power of God in salvation. They got saved. Three thousand people came to the Lord that day as Peter stood up, clarified what was going on, and the church growth was exploding. 3,000 people, they're off to a pretty darn good start. In case you're wondering, nobody's, no, like 3,000 people have not gotten saved and I preach. I just want to throw that out there so that you guys know what to expect right now. Because you read that, you're like, maybe today's the day. Oh no, there's only a couple hundred people in here. Alright, so that's where we pick up our story. Okay, big recap, but that's where we're at in Acts chapter 2. Uh, verse 41 says, those who received the word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then there's a little break in our Bibles, and the very next verse starts describing what these new believers and the 120 that were in the upper room and the disciples, what they were devoting themselves to. That word there means what they were persisting in. What they were persevering in or remaining steadfast in. And I was laughing at this because this is totally my thing. I like to do things off the cuff. I like to do random stuff. Like I'm not tied down to plans very often. I don't like administrative work. And I just imagine our executive pastor Aaron Beamish in charge of the church in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden 3,000 people get saved. And we look to him and we're like, what do we do? And I just love to think of how much pain he would have been in as he tried to figure out a system for how to work all this out. It made me so happy. I was like, I know what I'd do. I'd grab a guitar, sing and preach, baby. That's it. And you can figure out the rest. All right. So that's what went down. And we're going to figure out what they were persevering in. It says this. The first thing, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, To the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm gonna read that again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, first things first, I wanna lay a couple things out there. One, this is a cool snapshot or portrait of the early church, I said that. But everything we're about to read is not necessarily prescriptive. Everything that we're going to read is part of a very unique day. This, not Everything we're going to read is not like, hey, you need to do all these things. But these first verse right here, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, this is very much stuff that we now, the same way, should be devoting ourselves to in every way. So I want to clarify what these things are to encourage us to, as with them, devote ourselves to these things. So first things first, apostles' teaching or doctrine. This would be the summary of the apostles' teaching. And no doubt they were busy, okay, as they had a lot of new believers that they had to teach everything they knew about Jesus. So they give a full account of Jesus' life and teaching. A commentator said it this way, that this would have included much of what came to be included in the four gospels, this most definitely would have included a Christ-centered reading of the Old Testament. Probably a lot of Jews that didn't quite understand that Jesus was the Messiah before this, now they see. So they're reworking the Old Testament. We also see in the epistles in Second Peter um, that the apostles affirmed each other's writings as Scripture too. So Peter talks about a letter that Paul wrote and he calls it Scripture. So they recognize the authority of each other's letters. So what we find in the epistles very much would have been part of this apostles' doctrine. It was very, very important to the early church that they were grounded in sound doctrine and teaching. You guys know this as well. It's just as important for us. There's a lot of empty philosophies out there, a lot of false teachings out there, and it is extremely important to stay grounded in this book right here so that we may not be shaken because this book is never going to be shaken. So what do we do, guys? You're like, I've read the Bible. Well, we continue to read it. We continue to learn. We continue to dig in. And I'll just say this. Um, I'm not up here all the time, so I can kind of, uh, I can applaud Heritage, what what Jeff's been doing, what what's been built over the last, you know, 12 years or so. But, man, up on this stage... We know as pastors and preachers that you, you guys don't need to hear our opinion. I'll tell you that much right now. My friends in the room, like you know, I'm, I'm pretty much an idiot. But I tell the youth group, okay, look, don't listen to much of anything I say. Unless it comes from this book. Then Listen. I don't have anything good to say if it doesn't come from this word. So we preach and teach the Bible. If there's ever a sermon taught at this church that is not from the Bible, you come talk to us immediately and we'll deal with it. Because this is what we're all about. It's what we're always going to be about till the return of Christ. We too, like the early church, devote ourselves and persevere in sound doctrine. The second thing they persisted in was fellowship. The word here is the much-known koinonia, living life together, spending time together. This is something that that united people. It's a community of believers all centered around Christ himself and this new life and family that's found in him. But it makes sense, right? Because none of these people were family before this day, right? The 3,000, they were like, I don't know this fool. I don't know what this guy's name is. But now all of a sudden there's this common bond that they have And of course, they want to get to know each other, so they just commit themselves to living life together. And I say this, I am not in a huddle group. You can throw stones at me if you want, but I know that a huddle group is very much an avenue that we can do this through, right? I think of first Wednesdays. Those are so fun. You come and you worship and then you let the kids play on bounce houses and there's conversation and fellowship and community right there that I don't get many other places. It's a ton of fun. But they devoted themselves to it. No doubt in this time of fellowship, right, they're talking apostles' doctrine. They're learning. They're sharing things that they're learning. They're sharing experiences, encouraging one another, challenging one another, having fun together and it's just proof, guys, this, this revival, this 3,000 getting saved, it changed everything. And it just makes sense that they want to spend time with their new family. The third thing that they devoted themselves to is very much attached to fellowship, but it's just the breaking of bread. So there's really two meanings to this, but the first, I'll just start by saying this, this literally means eating together. He's sharing meals together, getting around a table, rejoicing in the provision of God with glad hearts, as verse 46 states. We'll see it in a bit. Rejoicing in the grace of God and stuffing your face to the glory of God, which does happen to be one of my favorite forms of worship. I'm almost 30. Men, it changes, huh? It's bad. I I want that pizza, but I don't want the donut. You know what I'm saying? All right. So they ate meals together. But guys, I want to I point this out too. If you remember back to before Jesus died, and he shared that last meal with his disciples, right? And he had some bread. And what did he do? He, just, he broke the bread and had the wine. And he's like instituting communion right here. He says, this is my, my body, my blood, the blood of the new covenant. This is what... This is what you should do in remembrance of me. And, and no doubt at this time when these, these new believers are eating together, it's a time where they're also not just parting it up, but they're remembering the finished work of Christ on the cross. As they're breaking bread and talking about this body that, that, that was broken for them and Jesus' perfect life and encouraging one another in the blood of the new covenant that though their sins are like scarlet, they, they've been forgiven, they've been washed away, they've been made white as snow. So that's the other part of the breaking of bread, eating together, but also remembering the finished work of the Savior. Number four, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and perhaps the most difficult for us to hear in 2019, they persisted in the prayers Public prayer, private prayer, prayer in the temple, prayer three times a day according to Jewish tradition, you name it. These people had just been introduced to God Almighty and then they hear that they can talk to him. And they're like, wait, the one that made the earth and the heavens and me and knit me together in my mom's womb, I can talk to him. Yeah, oh, oh okay, well, I'm going to do it. So they just start praying. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you pray I'll tell you one reason because we live in the most distracting age ever and it's crippling, man. My my poor wife, I'm going to throw myself under the bus when football season comes. I'm a different husband. It's bad. I mean it's great when the Niners are winning, okay? When it, when the Niners are winning, I'm like super pumped. The Broncos suck. I'm just going to throw it out there. Jeff, don't Okay, anyways. That's Jeff's team. He'll talk about the Broncos. But I'm just like, nah, that ain't, that ain't right. After all, Jesus did fast for 40 days and 49ers. Just going to throw that out there. Okay, I'm, j- I'm joking, right? That wasn't from the Bible. We're spo- That's right. Sorry. No, but I, I get distracted very easily. And I think it's not not just something that, did you see that? Not just something that I deal with, but... When I look back at that word devoted, how they were devoted to the prayers, I ask myself, and you guys got to ask yourself, look, can I use that word devoted to describe my prayer life? Like, I can use the word to describe my, like, loyalty to the Niners. I'm sure some of you guys are devoted to your Facebook and Instagram, that's for sure. You can use that word 100% to talk about that. But no, can you use that word when it comes to Prayer. Like football, hobbies, social media, those things aren't bad in themselves, but we'd be deceiving ourselves if we didn't think that some of us are controlled by them to the point where we spend much more time on them than we do with Christ. And and I'm I'm not trying to stand up here and guilt you to make you feel like crap. That's why I included myself in this verse, but it is a poke in the side to encourage us to pray. If I don't do that in fear of sounding like a hypocrite, then I'd be amiss. I need to, like, encourage us to seek the Father in prayer. It is so, so important. And I I know that there are prayer warriors in this gym that, that are just super steadfast in it, but it seems like most people I talk to about the Christian life would say that prayer is their weak spot. Right? A lot of young guys get into theology, and that's great. They'll be so quick to argue about Calvinism with you, right? I was there, you're like 19 years old, just learning the Bible and you're like, oh man, this is a sword and I'm going to use it to fight anybody I can that disagrees with me on the finer points of Arminianism versus doctrine, like Calvinism, whatever it is, right? Like, but when you talk to those guys about their prayer life, most of the guys that I've talked to are like, nah, it's not great. I love to study theology, which is great, but I don't, I don't really like to pray. And here's the thing, I think the testimony of countless saints that have gone before us would, would testify to the fact um, that the fruit and rewards of a, of a deep prayer life are beyond what we could even expect or imagine. Uh, and I'm convinced of it right? The flesh is weak, right? The spirit is willing. But if we can encourage each other, impress each other, knowing that we're not just sitting in judgment over one another, but for the benefit of us all to be like, hey, let's pray. Let's pray and devote ourselves to such things. It's powerful because God is, is powerful. Verse 43 says, an awe came upon every soul, Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Because that that word awe is awesome. I was talking to Sam. It's pretty cool. Philippi is going through the same passage. So I texted Sam like, hey, I'm teaching. Let's FaceTime. So we just FaceTime. We got to talk about this passage and share notes. And one of the things that we both had written down is this word awe. Awe came upon every soul. The same 3,000 souls that had just been saved That word awe is phobos, okay? It's where we get the word phobia. You're like, whoa, are they definitely afraid of Jesus? No. But it means that or means or implies an enduring sense of awe inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. It is fear. It is terror. It is wonder. It is awe. But imagine, guys, it makes sense. At first, I didn't get it. But as I continued to read and, and study, I'm going, well, yeah, what would you expect? They did not know about God. They had no context for who He was. And then, boom, they're introduced to Him. And they're seeing like this explosion of the Spirit of God in a way that many of us really haven't witnessed in our own lifetimes. So they're being introduced to this being that's so much stronger than them and so much more powerful than them and so much greater than them that they're just blown away at who he is and blown away every day as he continues to do pretty insane things in their midst. Not to mention right here, it's just wonders and signs being done through the apostles. I think we'd be pretty blown away just want to throw this out there too, these wonders and signs, guys, this is so cool. Done through the apostles, the words there literally mean something that happens outside of the common course of nature. So this is no doubt the miraculous. But the words also imply that they're there to confirm, corroborate, or authenticate what's going on. I'm looking at this going, man, the gospel's being preached and signs and wonders are there testifying to the fact that this gospel is the true gospel, the only one that the God that they're teaching about is Lord of heaven and earth and he is totally sovereign and powerful. They're pointing to Jesus and exalting Jesus. It's not about the signs and wonders. That's not the end all. The signs and wonders are pointing to the Messiah that everybody has come to believe in. Check this out, verse 44. That's where it gets pretty stinking radical. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's pretty radical generosity. See, here's what happened, guys. This group of people, no doubt like many of us pre-Christ, were living for what? Themselves, right? What are the things the world tells us to pursue? Money, power, status, Whatever it is, right? So these people, no doubt a lot of them were accumulating wealth for themselves, just saying, hey, I'm going to build my kingdom. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to worship myself and doing that. And now all of a sudden they've met Jesus. And in case you didn't know, the gospel transforms lives. It really does. And so it gave them a new heart and new passion, new desires, and a new perspective on the things that they've been working for their whole life. Now all of a sudden, again, part of this family fellowshipping all the time, a need comes up from somebody in the church and instead of somebody living there like, "Uh, I'm just not going to share anything with them because it's all about me. They're going, no, actually everything I have comes from Jesus. So they're like, I have a huge abundance here. This is great. I got seven fields. I'll sell one to hook, like pay for this bill or whatever, like keep you off the street. And they start sharing with each other when needs would arise man somebody would come through in generosity and help them out and they were unified no divisions no cliques and united with one purpose to love love god love people love each other and by the power of the spirit to continue this great work of being witnesses to Jesus i do, i do want to clarify one thing right here because um a lot of times you can read this verse and and kind of be confused as to what to do with it. You're like, well, I live in America. Even if you're broke, you still have a lot of stuff, okay? Way more than a lot of people in history and a lot of people in this world. So what do I do with it? Well, it's easy for us to smash on the pres- prosperity gospel, right? Like health, wealth, wellness, prosperity gospel. But, but we have to be careful in looking at a verse like this, not to let the pendulum swing so far the other way that we're preaching a poverty gospel. Like in order to be a Christian, you have to have nothing and suffer all the time. This is not true. It's not true. So let me just read a quote real quick to clarify. It's from a guy named Clinton Arnold. He says, Sometimes a false impression is gained that these early Christians sold everything they owned when they joined the church. This was, in fact, the practice of the Qumran community on the Dead Sea. When someone joined the group, his property and earnings were handed over to a trustee in the community, and it became a part of a common fund. But this is not the case, however, with the first believers. Their commitment to Jesus and the work of the Spirit in their lives produced in them a completely new attitude on their property. No longer are they motivated to amass wealth themselves, but they now view what they have as resources for the cause of Christ and the care of his people. The verb tense for selling implies that there was not one big sale of goods upon a person's conversion, but that individuals sold portions of their personal and real property as needed in the community, or as needs in the community surface. This was entirely voluntary and not mandated by the apostles. So, on the topic of generosity, okay? Does this mean that you have to sell everything you have, sell everything you have, buy a tent and move to the greenway to follow Christ? No. No, not at all. In fact, that would be horrible, but but we definitely should seek to be generous. And and there's a word here that's important to know and it's it's stewardship, okay? God has given each of us stuff Talents, skills, money, houses, cars, whatever it is. And in one day, I don't know, God might tell you, hey, sell everything and move to Timbuktu. I want you to live the rest of your days preaching the gospel. By all means, do it. Okay, that's on you for obedience. But here and now, listen, what do you do with all this stuff? It's not evil. You use it for the glory of God and the cause of Christ. I love that. Everything we have. I mocked football earlier, but my buddy Spencer and I, we love it together as a youth pastor. And I'm telling you what, sports in general give us more street cred with kids than anything else. Like if I don't know what the heck I'm talking about, if someone's like, hey, did you see the game? I'm all, hmm, what game? I don't have a TV in my house. That's of the devil. I don't actually do sports. That's of the devil. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to talk to you. Right? That'd be the end of it for us. So this, this passion that we have for sports like gets to be used for the glory of God along with everything. Along with everything. And again, I'm just going to harp on this for a second. Their generosity is a response to the goodness and grace of God who is voluntary and willing. And it's, it's proof that God transforms lives and shifts perspectives entirely. Next verse says this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Amen. Praising God and having favor with all people. They loved God. They loved people. They served each other well. And listen, they served their communities well. They were well thought of by people inside the church and outside the church. I love that they had favor with all people. And, and I was thinking about this. When, when we talk about the church, one God, one church, one mission, our main focus, right, is the, the sharing and spreading of the gospel. That's what we're all about. If we do something really awesome for somebody and we travel to wherever that doesn't have clean water, we put in clean water, that's a great thing, right? But if we do that, we don't tell them about Jesus, then we're missing the point, Right, so we love people, and then we tell them about Jesus. We love people, and we preach the gospel. Not only taking care of somebody's needs now, but understanding that we need to be caring for their eternity. And again, we preach the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So, the church though should no doubt be a force for good in the city that, that they've been planted in. That's what Sam's looking to do. That's what Heritage is looked to do. And and listen. Oftentimes, in the epistles you see the the apostles, sorry, similar words, epistles, the apostles, oh, I can't even say it. <clears throat> tongue twister, you often see them commend a church for doing well in a certain certain spot, certain aspect of what they're teaching um, and as I was reading this, I just couldn't help but think of of this church, and again. I'm tooting your guys' horn now by the grace of God, knowing that it's spirit-empowered love. My commendation is not nearly as important or as weighty as the apostles, but I will give you one nonetheless. Guys, when I read this, favor with people and generosity, I think you guys are doing a, a great job. Like, from afar, looking at this, you guys are doing an extremely good job. I've seen you guys take care of a family when there was just, like, piles and piles of bills on top of them. I've seen you guys come alongside and be extremely generous. I've, I've seen you guys care for people in the community. Even stuff you're doing with your huddle groups, right? you got got your, your community projects. I've seen you guys pick up kids that didn't know Christ and bring them to youth group just over and over and over again. I've seen you serve people well and truly as, as a guy. I'm, I don't know if I'm young anymore. I was going to say a young guy. I'm almost 30. But it's, a, it's really an honor to be part of such a rad group of believers. Yeah. You guys are killing it in this. And again, I think all of you would agree like it's not you. You're just like the church. You're like, I don't know, I've been saved by Christ. He's given me so much. I gotta, I gotta tell people. I gotta love on people. And the last verse is, is this, the last half. It says, and by the way, it's, it's my favorite verse of the whole thing. It said, the Lord added their number day by day those who are being saved. Okay, everybody has different gifts and roles in the church, I get that. Um, I don't know if you've ever witnessed somebody that doesn't know Christ get preached to, convicted by the Spirit, and then just give their life to the Lord. It possibly is the best thing in the world, okay? Just times where at camp, like somebody's throwing down the gospel and you get to see people respond. And you know, like, there's a miracle happening. It's actually a bigger miracle than the wonders and signs we read about like three verses ago. When somebody's life destined for hell, wrath, and sin, sees Jesus lifted up and glorified in the proclamation of the gospel and gives their life to him. And inside, God is doing this miraculous work where he's like ripping out this heart of stone that actually hates God and is rebellious. And he's giving a new heart and he's washing their slate clean and all their sin is now gone. That is a miracle to witness that will blow your stinking mind. And just like in this, right, we're gonna be left there going, This is crazy. I can't believe that God is doing this. He was doing it back then, adding to the number day by day, and he's still doing it now. When Jeff started this whole thing, if you remember in Acts 1, I'll just go back to it real quick. It says, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, the first verse, until he was taken up. So this is Luke, right? He's saying, hey, in the first book, I wrote that everything Jesus began to do. And what does that imply? He's not finished. And this is proof of that right here that he's not finished. But then fast forward, like almost another 2,000 years and we're sitting here in this gym and we look around we go, oh, we're living proof that God is still doing this. He's still working. He's still moving. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, when these guys and girls met the Lord, right, they were made conscious of the fact that God was working. I love that word choice because in reality, you never was stagnant. They just didn't know. So all of a sudden, boom, their eyes are open. They're like, oh my goodness, I've been missing out on this my whole life. And we too get to be witnesses of this and not just that, but vessels that God uses to do the most miraculous thing ever. And that is save. Save sinners. Uh, this word is epic. One, it's cool. Just It's sozo. Okay, salvation. It's just awesome, man. Bozos get sozoed. Okay, I'm just kidding. That was just, I, that just came to mind now. And Sam's gone, so I have to do the dumb jokes. Okay, so check this out. Sozo rescuing somebody. And bringing them into safety okay and, and this says I love this it says sozo in the Bible used principally of God rescuing believers from the penalty and power of sin and into his provisions or divine safety every day God's strong arm of salvation is reaching out and he's drawing people to himself and he's bringing people into the fold, and the gospel's being preached, and he's doing just what he promised to do, and he's working through that, and he's saving people, bringing them into divine safety. Here's, here's the thing, guys. I've, I've been watching a documentary that really our staff's been stoked on the last year, and I showed it to the kids. It's called... Um, American gospel. And one quote that's really stuck with me through it um, when they're talking about biblical preaching is this one pastor stands up and he goes, hey man, if the gospel isn't preached at your church, if the gospel isn't preached in your sermon, it's not a a Christian sermon. And it's quite a shame because oftentimes we we can get so like caught up in words and, and little details which are definitely important. But we can go through a sermon without actually preaching the gospel. And one of the pastors also said it's it's a shame if, if somebody invites somebody to church and the gospel isn't preached. Like, what if they never come again? Right? I want to take every single opportunity to lay the gospel out in front of people. That's just what I love to do about teaching kids camps, whatever it is, like, my focus is not necessarily teaching people that have been walking with Jesus for 50 years and know a lot more than me. I get to focus on, like, this is it. Guess what? Jesus is Lord and Savior. Everything that I told you in the recap, everything about Luke is actually 100% true, Right? Jesus did live the perfect life and he did give himself up sacrificially as our substitute to die in our place so that whoever believed in him would not perish, wouldn't face the wrath of God, wouldn't face a second death, but instead would have eternal life. Guys, the message that they were preaching is just this. The finished work of Christ, going to the cross, Going to the grave, rising up for the grave. Anybody who would believe, experiencing the miracle of Jesus' salvation firsthand. All that's true. And, and here's the thing I wanted to stand up here and, and look at this last verse and then remind you guys that Jesus is still doing this, but also offering opportunity. I don't, I don't know everybody in this room. but I think I'd be a little off my rocker if I assumed that everybody in here was a born-again believer. And so right now, I just want to talk to you. If, if you're in here and you don't know Christ, I want to say, listen, we're going to take a couple minutes out of this to, to talk to you, knowing that God is in the business of drawing people to himself. The Holy Spirit is still at work, the one here that we're reading about, convicting people of sin and pointing people to Jesus. So if you're in here and you're going, man, I know how wretched I am. Believe me, we're humans. We all experience that. I know what stuff I've done. Nobody in this building could possibly know. They can't know. If they found out, they'd boot me. No, listen, that's like all of our stories. But if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting there in sin, you're like, I don't know. I just showed up because somebody invited me. If you're in here, you don't know Jesus. Listen, this invitation to salvation is open and available to anybody who would turn from sin Turn to Christ, confess him as Lord and Savior and believe. And you're going, man, that, that can't be me. It can't be that easy. No, it's it's really, really seems easy for us. It, it wasn't easy for Jesus. My point being, he did everything necessary to bring you again from darkness into the kingdom of light. He did all the work. He bore the wrath on your behalf. He bore the sin on your behalf. And now we get to place our faith and trust completely in Him, going, man, if it weren't for you, Jesus, I'd have nothing but the wrath of God to face. But now, because of your work, one day I'm going to stand before God. Say this with the kids all the time. God's going to be like, hey, Mitch, are you guilty or not guilty? What do you plead? And I'm going to be like, the blood of Jesus. It ain't me. You know I'm guilty, Lord. But Jesus was righteous and Jesus was perfect. And on that cross, when I trusted in him, my sin went to him. His righteousness comes to me. Listen, if you have not experienced new birth or new life in Christ, there's no better time than today. Give your life to Jesus and experience what these believers were experiencing. As your eyes are open to the Lord, as you're introduced to this God, and you'll be blown away and freed if this is you guys in in this morning you're like ah you feel the pull of the spirit and your heart's like thumping in your chest guys as soon as service is over we're done singing or right now just talk to somebody tap on somebody next to your shoulder and be like hey i don't have that and i need that i don't want to face wrath for my sin i want jesus to take it for me i want to give my life to him please do I'm gonna have the band come up. We're gonna we're gonna sing two more songs. But just in closing, guys, um, again, I, it's it's so easy to get distracted by all the peripheral stuff in, in churches and criticize, get frustrated with what's going on in your church. We we read the emails, you know what I'm saying? So, no, it's super easy. And, and a lot of times, I'm young and I get zealous, or I have been young. I'm zealous and passionate, and I'm going. Oh, why aren't people getting healed in here all the time? Where are the prophecies? Like, where is this? Or what? Like, where's this radical stuff going on? I'm going, man, I, I don't have control over those things. That's a God thing. But, but, here's what we do get to focus on. And I'm, I'm down to see miracles all, every day. I'd be sweet. But we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, sound doctrine every week, every day, you guys, to protect yourself from, from deception, Lord, you guys, be in the book. You got to know this book for yourself, because somebody, I'm telling you, I tell the kids this all the time, somebody at one point in your life is going to tell you something that they're saying is from God, but it's not in this book, and you got to be like, mm, nah, I'm sorry, man, I love you, but that's not what the book says. We have to be grounded in this. And then we can devote ourselves to fellowship and breaking of bread, remembering the finished work of Christ all the time through communion, eating together, living life together. And then we can devote ourselves to prayer. Like that's what we can do. And that's what we hope to do at Heritage all the time. It's quite simple. Look, I've never... I've never seen 3,000 people get saved. I think it'd be pretty cool, though. We live in a valley, as as Jeff's talked about, that's not, it's actually pretty dark, man. When I I first moved here, I was like, this is like the Bible Belt of the West. I feel like the the spiritual climate's changed a little bit. Guys, I will say, that this valley needs revival. A move of the Spirit, mass salvation, that'd be awesome. Now, again, I cannot make revival come, but, We can pray for it. Let's pray for people to get saved, man. How cool would it be if we as a church were we're praying, not just for like creature comforts, not just for, Lord, what do I do next? But like on our knees going, Lord, there are people in this valley that don't know you. And if they don't know you when they die, their future is not great. It's horrendous. We need to proclaim the good news, trusting you to work as we proclaim the gospel. Lord, use us. So we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing. Jesus paid it all, man. To remember what He did, remember that God's still working and saving, and uh, rejoicing in the Lord. So as we do this, guys, um, we're gonna respond with with worship. We're gonna respond with prayer. We're gonna respond with with giving as well. If this is your home church, the brothers are gonna come forward to receive the tithes as part of our worship, and we're gonna we're gonna sing two more songs and and dim the lights and fix our eyes 100% on on this, Lord, as we just commit ourselves to to worship. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I love you, and uh, I'm looking forward to this time of worship as we just remember the cross. So we remember what you did for us, God. What a glorious thing. We love you, Lord, so, so much. and